Hey everybody, today's No Guitar Is Safe episode is brought to you by your friends at Audio-Technica, and they are your friends because they've made a killer wireless with you in mind. A guitar wireless called the System 10 Stompbox Wireless. I have one of these things. I love it. It sits on my pedal board. It's got a great little foot switch on there that does some sophisticated things. I can switch between one amp and the tuner, or one amp and then another amp, or if I want, I can use it as like a A slash AB box, in which case I go from one amp to both amps. I love running the thing with two guitar It works effortlessly with two transmitters, so I can switch between two guitars all night long using just the one receiver on my pedal board. And if you're playing acoustic guitar, you could use it to switch between your electric amp and then switch over to the DI box when you're running your acoustic. So you're getting acoustic and electric running through the same wireless. Very cool. It's got at least a 60-foot radius. And best of all, it sounds killer. It always automatically, instantaneously finds the clearest frequency in the room. So I totally recommend it. And if you want to win one, I'm going to tell you how. Just go to guitarplayer.com slash Kat Dyson. Kat is our guest today. K-A-T-D-Y-S-O-N. Guitarplayer.com slash Kat Dyson and put your name in the form. All right, let's start the show. We got a very special, very purple episode for you today. Wow, 2016. Seriously? Prince? The Grim Reaper's going to take Prince, too, at age 57? Somebody needs to smack the Reaper down. Not cool. It's just getting out of control. You know, I lost my band leader, Paul Kantner, this year from Jefferson Starship. We lost so many others. Glenn Fry, Lonnie Mack, same day as Prince. My gosh. Merle Haggard? Make it stop. Maurice White from Earth, Wind & Fire? The list is insane. But today is a celebration with Kat Dyson, an amazing guitarist, and it will definitely have a purple slant because she played with His Purple Majesty, Prince, for years and years, starting 20 years ago. She's done a million different things with him, and, you know, big shows, small shows, TV shows, recordings, everything, and we just happened to talk about that quite a bit. You know, we met for this interview just days, I think five days, four days before Prince passed away. And it's kind of serendipitous. And we went into all that. And of course, we went into all the other artists she's worked with. Cindy Lopper, who she's played lead guitar for for years. And now she plays for Zuccaro. We talk a lot about that. Zuccaro is this ginormous Italian superstar. He sold 50 million records. Cat plays arenas and soccer stadiums with this guy. Gets big solos. fantastic band leader really happy for her for that gig she's always working but this prince thing wow it's pretty heavy so heavy in fact that i requested and she politely agreed to a follow-up interview that's right a couple days ago after prince's passing we met and we met with mike scott too who's in town you remember mike scott from episode 12 he played with prince for years as well and we in that episode episode 12 we went deep into uh, his adventures with prince and, and and his guitar parts and all that kind of stuff and we jammed a lot on prince tunes we're gonna do a bunch of jamming with cat today too but as i was saying just had to do a follow-up i got the two of them together and we just i don't know it's going to be 20 minutes or half an hour at the end of this episode just them talking and trying to process what it means to have Prince gone now and what he meant to them and, and some funny memories that they had with Prince and what he taught them both. A little bonus feature at the end. 
I couldn't possibly pay enough tribute to Prince because I've always been a huge fan since I first heard him on the radio when I was like nine years old. I even had a Prince tribute band. We had four female lead singers all dressed in white looking glorious and uh, we called it Princess. I understand there's a new <laughs> a new act in LA led by two women called a, two actors called a Princess and uh, they took our idea. No, I don't know. They, maybe they came up with it on their own, but nonetheless, I can't say enough about how much I love Prince and his music and his band leading. And Kat's going to talk a lot about that. Kat is just stunning guitar player. I first met her when I was a judge at the Buffalo Niagara guitar competition about 10 or 12 years ago. And she was as well. So we're both judges and guess who else was judging? Vernon Reed from Living Color. And I think that night, because I did it a couple years, I think we also had Reggie Wooten there, who is uh, the uh, older brother of Victor Wooten. Victor claims that Reggie, his guitar playing older brother, taught him everything he knows about slapping bass and bass and music in general, which is very nice of him to say. And that was a fun night. We jammed out. I see Kat all over the place. I saw her this year at the NAMM show at the great She Rocks Awards put on by Laura Whitmore. It's a cool thing where they honor women in the industry, both great women musicians and great female uh, leaders of the industry as well, business people and innovators. And it was a killer show and Kat was in the house band. If you've ever done a house band gig, there's a real art to it. And they were so professional. I forget the rest of the band, Divinity Rocks was in there. It's all female band. And they were just crushing. There's an art to doing walk-on, walk-off music. And then when a special guest comes up to backing that guest, you know, like minimal rehearsals, they backed Jennifer Batten, who got a Lifetime Achievement Award. By the way, Jennifer has pledged uh, her commitment to be on this podcast. Next time we're both in the same zip code. Thank you, Jennifer. Jennifer's speech was mind-blowing. I'm going to try to find it and I'm going to post it. You got to see this speech. Just a quick reflection on her whole life and and she's so funny. So Kat backed her up. They jammed on some Jeff Beck, a Jeff Beck tune, which is the kind of the first tune you're going to hear me and Kat jamming on when the show finally gets started, if I can ever stop talking. But Kat is just always doing cool stuff. We, we just talk about a lot of stuff that she's done over the years. Like, like I said, Cindy Lauper playing with Mick Jagger in the studio. I can't remember everything she's done. So without further ado, and with a quick, again, thank you to Audio-Technica for sponsoring this episode, let's get rolling. Let's hop in the copter. We're going to go over to Loki Sonic Studios in Burbank. Killer full-service, full-facility recording and rehearsal pad that I didn't even know was there. Check it out if you need a spot in LA. It's not like terribly expensive or anything. You know, it's a, this is a reasonable, cool place. Paul Ill, the great bass player, runs it, I believe. Full service. And when I walked in there, Cat was fully set up. Like, I got there early. I always get there a little early to try to set up the mics. She was completely already plugged in and rocking, had her PRS on. She had a Hughes and Kettner head running through a divided by 13, two by 12. I think the cabinet was something they had lying around. They have a whole bunch of cool gear there. She had some cool stomp boxes, a couple of overdrives. I didn't even realize until the end of the episode that she'd been running through the System 10 stomp box wireless the whole time. Sounds really clear, as you're going to hear. And get this, she set up a rig for me as well. It was all fired up and ready to go. It was a Blue Guitar Amp 1 driving a 4x12 Marshall. Check it out. I don't know if you've seen these, but I've been wanting to try one of these for quite a while. The little Amp 1 from Blue Guitar. B-L-U Guitar, one word. It's uh, built and designed by a great German guitar player named Thomas Blug, who worked for Hughes & Kettner for years. And it's really cool. It's a little amp you could hold in your hand. It sits right on the floor. It's got three or four foot switches and switches to different, all, you know, three or four different distortion tones, clean tones, got built-in reverb. It's like, it's 100 watts, digital power amp, weighs nothing. Sits on the floor. You can travel with it. Kind of like the ultimate travel amp, man. So it was really cool that Kat set that up for me. Thank you, Kat. 
Oh, yeah, and she uh, gave me a PRS Starla to play, too. I didn't even have to take my guitar out of my bag. So cool. Thank you, Kat. And um, I can't thank you enough for uh, sitting down and doing two interviews for this very, very intense week where we lost one of the greatest artists in the history of electric, funk, rock, pop, Mr. Prince Rogers Nelson. God bless you, Prince. Thank you so much, Kat. Thanks to Mike Scott at the end. Thanks again to Audio Technica and the great system 10 Stompbox Wireless. Let's hop in the copter and head over to Burbank. No guitar is safe. And let me hear your voice for a second. Shall I give you a bit more? Hey, rookie, watch me pull a rabbit out of a head. <laughs> Net number three, presto. Anything you feel like jamming on? sounds so screaming what is that is that your uh, you kind of going clean with a full drive like a little they're different boots you know some girls prefer shoes i like pedals <laughs> nice <laughs> i just recently uh pared down my three storage units to <laughs> to, to one that's funny that's like in that way guys are like girls oh. like they like pedals <laughs> The way we pedal like and shoes. gear. You have both. You now you have to have a shoe closet oh, and a pedal closet. Well, you know my shoe closet is unfortunately not as immense as my gear closet. That's a good problem. Well, I mean, I'm a tall girl, so I, you know, when you get to size ten and above, you can't buy as many shoes as the regular girls because you then have to beg people to to custom make them and 
it yeah. gets a little expensive, but pedals are more fun. I can make money with those to buy the shoes. So. <laughs> right, that's awesome. Now, do you ever just go for the super tall thing with the super tall shoes and the heels? I have. I, I, I did a lot of that. Um, actually, this year is 20 years when I of uh, the an- 20th anniversary of when I started with Prince, which was 96. So this year is 20 years. And I did dance in four-inch heels on plexiglass and, you know. Wow. Yeah, you know, and I'm already 5'10", so, you know, I was like (laughs) 6'2", with 30 pounds on my shoulders and 4-inch heels. Meanwhile, Prince was like, no, I'm just kidding. Ah. (laughs) Hey, man, Prince is one. Hey, he he liked it. He he loved it. He endorsed it. He's like, you know, one day it was like, wear the heels. The next day it was like, eh, wear some moccasins. So, you know, he was was a shoe guy, you know. He actually called Manolo Blahnik in Italy and said, uh, can you make some shoes for her? Because, you know, they, you couldn't buy them in the store. You couldn't. So it was because of him that I was able to even get those shoes, you know, in my size. Because I, I really I really wear 11 narrow. And in, in uh, Europe, they don't have that. Oh, right. everything's <laughs> a little smaller there. I know. Yes, well, that, yes. That's fantastic, though, giving you the hookup like that. People yeah. answer the phone when he calls. Oh, everybody answers the phone when Prince calls. I mean, I'm yeah. really enjoying him kind of totally leaning into his body of work the way he's doing and um, when I first started with him and we were learning the shows and we were learning all these songs and he asked me one day off the cuff if you could add something to the show what would you add I said well I know it's going to probably sound hokey but I would add like a an intimate moment where you pick an instrument of your choice guitar keyboard something like that and just kind of almost story time one of you really like a stripped down version of one or two of your hits and everybody laughed and he was like oh that would be kind of boring and you know that's when all the production and the dancers and you know all of that stuff was but years later I get to giggle a little bit because he's doing it and people love it because they love it. I a, saw that. Tro- I saw a, them when I saw him. He had that beautiful set in the middle. You know, a good song can withstand a hurricane or a raindrop. You know what I mean? If or, it's a good song, I mean, yeah, Cindy Lauper broke down True Colors to her. You know, to her, just like you know. Uh, um, of course, now I draw a blank with the instrument that she's. I'll remember it in a minute. But I mean, she broke things down to the bare minimum because, like, hey. She could break your heart with that song and, you know, and playing it with a kazoo. I mean, kazoo. but a good song can, can, you know, you can do anything. That's, I mean, that's why I, I really enjoyed, I just did the uh, Black Girls Rock thing for uh, uh award show for BET and Audra Day, that song, Rise Up. Just that song, just just her voice in the piano. I mean, I came in and we all played and we brought strings in, but just listening at her sing, I almost missed my cue because it's such a powerful song. Oh, Cindy Lauper, dulcimer. That's yes, what dulcimer. Beautiful. I mean, she broke that down to just a dulcimer and her just strumming it, just not even doing the full chorus or whatever, just 
the drone thing. I mean, a good melody can can withstand anything. You know, you know. I'm 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 hopeful that the good song era is is kind of coming back. <laughs> I'm with you on that for sure. What was it? Black Girls Rock. Yeah, that was an amazing show. Like yeah. very involved in like the arrangements and stuff. What was that? Jasmine Sullivan piece you sent me. Ah, uh, yeah. Like just key changes and lots of intricate parts. How did that, how are, how are the rehearsals for a big TV extravaganza um, like that? The rehearsals were pretty intense, you know, minimum 10 to 12 hour days. We started uh, the rehearsals Thursday, I believe we started. And then we taped on a Friday. So we had the Sunday off because it was Easter, but we were pretty much cranking it, you know. I mean, everyone had the material. And, you know, all, all the artists, you know, sent their songs. Those are their, you know, that's Jasmine's single from her record. You know, that's Brandy's single. You know, everybody did their singles. The uh, medley for Gladys Knight, we arranged that kind of on the fly. You know, you know, our our, our band director, um, Kim Burst, you know, kind of was in touch with Gladys' people about what song she wanted to do, what song she didn't want to do. You know, she wanted to add something of the new song that she did. So, you know, uh, Kim and her team and she works with you know some really great uh herman uh peanut jackson i believe that's his name um johnson sorry uh he is a great arranger he works along with uh uh monica uh and he's you know like him has a whole team of arrangers and writers and you know people who do the strings and you know and she just sits with that whole team and she's she's the creative head but she brings it all together and she brought in some string player friends of mine who lived in New York that I hadn't seen in a while so it was really kind of like a you know a good reunion of you know some of the best you know female musicians so it wasn't just a look it wasn't just for show everybody was playing no lip sync no no tracks being played all the backgrounds were live all the leads were live you've been thrown down with so many artists it's like i couldn't even begin to name them all and um i know i don't even know if you remember when we last hung out are which you, is maybe you, the only are you gonna now put a year on it <laughs> I don't remember the year, but it was Buffalo National Guitar Competition. Oh, my gosh, And we yes. were both judges, and then we jammed yes. up there, and we had Vernon Reed up yes, there from Living yes, Color. Yes, 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 It was kind of a fun little moment. But it was, it was. And, it, you know, it sparked a friendship that, you know, I've kept going. Um, I was just with Vernon uh, last year at Lincoln Center with uh, our mutual friend, uh, Toshi Regan, who her mother is the founder of Sweet Honey and the Rock, and she has been commissioned in New York and she's taken she's taken it you know pretty much as her cross the bear for roots music so she did a deep roots of of rock and roll two hour extravaganza we did everything from Bo Diddley to Cult of Personality to Led Zeppelin to to you know Aretha Franklin respect i mean yeah at Lincoln we, Center you said yeah i mean we did this whole big thing and then you know Vernon and those guys are there and we're you know we're doing a little Richard material. We're doing, you know, all the Muddy Waters. We, I mean, we touched on every nook and cranny that she could get into that time. And there were so many great artists. Nona Hendrix was there. I mean, you know, the guys from Living Color were there. I mean, so many great vocalists that, you know, constantly work inside her circles for for the sacred parts, for the 
uh, the gospel and the blues, great blues singers. And uh, she did another series uh, that she does every year at the Schromberg a theater space in Harlem, in the Schromberg Library. It's inside there. And uh, for the month of March, every Monday, there's a different theme. And I went in and did the sacred and uh, secular, it was called the Sacred Revolution, I believe so. And it was the music of Mahalia Jackson, the staple singers, and Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Wow. <laughs> That's so, so awesome. And Sister Rosetta thought, man, well, that's that's, a, she's just been like on my head dancing oh. since I did that thing like two years ago. Oh, because yeah, that, that one I had to, video. I, I had to get a guitar and make it a Sister Rosetta Thorpe guitar. Like a SG Les Paul thing? or No, not only that, but you have to put the strings on it that can handle. She tuned in C. Down to C? Yeah, if you analyze, yeah. and when you watch her, she never looks at her hands. Eh? She's always oh. playing and singing. And then, but if you take it and you, you know, I had to kind of get into it and tear it all down and analyze it because, you know, Toshi kind of demands that you come in there and do it right. I'm like, this is open. And then I looked at the videos and she's playing up here. Yeah. She's playing open and it's C. Trip. C, C sharp, but mostly C, <laughs> but low. Yeah. And she's hammering. Oh, she's So they can't be thin strings. And I'm like, oh my God, these must be like, she's got her whole thing set up like B.B. King. Well, you know, B.B. King, God rest his soul, let me play his guitar back in the day when I was just starting a tour in Europe, I picked that thing up and I could barely get sound on it because strings are so thick. I mean, his hands, he shook my hand and my hand disappeared. And my ah. fingers are pretty long, but my hands are skinny. And he just has such a big yeah, mitt, you know mitts. what I mean? And you got you got to have meat on your fingers to get sound out of strings that thick. And she's just barreling. What gauge do you normally use on your guitars? Well, everything's different. There's 10s right. on that one. There's nine and a halfs on this one because, you know, it's ah. 24 fret. And Paul said, look, you can play around with the gauges if you want to. But if you want it to be solid and in tune every night because it's one piece this is what I suggest. Nine and a half to 44. Don't even ask me. I don't get it. <laughs> I have done what he said, and I always had tuning issues. Well, you know, his scale length is right in between a Les Paul and a Strat, so it's no, no wonder that the strings should be right in between. The two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But then, I mean, uh, as of late, I've been, like all guitar players will do, or like anybody that just wants to refresh and regroup and learn more dialogue. I mean, it's just like... Any language you learn, you know, if you, if you start playing Scrabble, you want to learn more words so you can win more Scrabble games. You know what I mean? So as of late, I've, I, I've been doing what I call having master classes with friends of mine who I love and respect, who are still here. You know, I, I was doing a, um, a fundraiser for the Urban League in L.A. and got a chance to hang out with Paul Jackson Jr. for four hours and just pick his oh, brain sweet. about how he refreshes when he gets, you know, to a harmonic place where he feels like he's, you know, stagnant or maybe in a groove. Mm -hmm. or, you know, he what did says, he tell you? He, well, you know, he says, well, you know, and I told him, I said, well, I'm I'm also changing picks and, I'm, and I also want to get into cleaner dexterity because I... You know, I tend to dig in and I'm not exactly pristine, but that's never, you know, depending on what I do, I can do that. But as far as my natural style, I'm, I'm you know, I'm pretty loose with it. You know what I mean? When it comes to digging in and playing blues and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to cross every I and dot every T because I'm singing everything I'm playing. So I'm not really thinking about that. But there there are some styles that require that precision. You're singing everything you play? I, most of the time. In your head or just kind of humming under your, like, we like, just don't hear it because you're cranked you up? Don't, you don't hear it. Yeah. I mean, oh, cool. most time, yeah. So he says, well, take a guitar 
and like put some 13s on it or do everything that you're doing on your electric guitar on an acoustic that's got the real classical neck just make your hands strong so when you pick up that nine and a half to 44 it's gonna feel like a breeze and pick the hardest you know most difficult lick that's just been stumping you and just play it to death on that 13 he's like it's gonna fatigue your hands and he says he also goes back and listens to west montgomery and pat martino and you know he's got the books and like most of us do um and and i took that to heart and i set up a guitar for that and it, you know it's been helping me helping cool. me gain strength because i mean in the end dex- dexterity is not about pressure it's about fluidity but you have to have a certain amount of strength for that fluidity to happen you know what i mean yeah he also has mitts. And, you know, as far as, you know, finger on the fret space, my fingertips are really small. So I really have to think about, you know, there are a lot of, most of the guitar players that I love have such a wide space that they do a lot of muting from here. I have to do it from here. With your but, strumming hand. Yeah. Because I just don't have yeah, the no, physical, yeah. you know, like, like you, Stevie Ray Vaughan or something. He's this whole, his fretting hand is choking every string except for the one. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, you know, I have girly hands. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I have girly hands. I I've mean, people, my fingers are long, but they're very very slim. I mean, yeah. you know, my mother had me taking piano lessons as a kid, but it was so boring. You know, I have you know, and I ended up um, studying in college with Consuela Lee Moorhead, who is Billy's sister Spike Lee's aunt uh, who also taught the Wootens and that's uh-huh. where we all met in, in school and she says you have the hands of a pianist but your piano playing sucks bring your guitar <laughs> <laughs> they, look like, they look like guitar hands too to yeah. me. they do well, I've I definitely mean, seen people do I mean, a lot I, and, on a guitar and then I took a master class hands. with Dean Brown who I love oh, that's great and he made me pull out my Segovia studies. He sent me some stuff before we took the lesson. And I'm like, no, he didn't do that. And of course, he is about even strokes, but like really harder picking than a really much more aggressive than I ever would be, you know. And I'm thinking that aggressive picking might not get me to dexterity, but he kind of showed me a few tricks that if I work on it and change my thinking, which, you know, comes with learning. I mean, I'm, I, I look at myself as the never-ending student because there's always something more to learn. So I'll, I'll never get there. So I'm always running, running, trying to get. I mean, I I played the Greek. I bought a Greek oud. I played that on my Zuccaro gig. Uh, he's an Italian singer who's kind of like an Italian Joe Cocker, and he did this album down in kind of Italian Cuba. Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, <laughs> he's he huge. This, yeah, he did this album down in Cuba and then we had all these Cuban musicians to join our core band and the guitar player was one of the teachers at the conservatory in Havana I mean his playing is just unbelievable oh, on the just, bass yeah. on all their on the, all their classic like the standard instruments there I mean plus you know he plays like Holesworth on electric so we would just shed and he'd just be showing me stuff and for me guitar is a vehicle for my my greed of knowledge <laughs> <laughs> it's just that's, it's just a vehicle that's just just feeding me. It's you know it's awesome. it's the it's the banquet in one in one sitting that you never get up from because there's always something new to taste, something new to learn. Somebody playing something and it makes you go, huh? I totally what? agree. There's, you could learn something from anyone, even someone probably hasn't even been playing that long. They come up, people come up with cool stuff. Any every. So can yeah. we play a little? What kind of stuff would you do on the Sister Rosetta Tharp thing? Because that's like one of the greatest YouTube videos I've ever seen. Is Herb doing it up above my head? I mean, and she did a lot of that. Was there changes on that? 
I mean, but it was like. Yeah, she. Yeah, she. Oh, yeah, she gets yeah. some <laughs> I mean, she. I mean, but no. it was. It wasn't really. It was more yeah. major bass blues. Yes, yeah, you know. Was, I mean, she threw yeah. a blue note in there. But she was so smooth because it was all, you know, she's singing it yeah. all. Yeah, she's so comfortable, too. Just and like, it's crazy. <laughs> I love that about you, by the way. When I watch you play, you just, your shoulders, the way you move, you are so in the pocket. Well, I, God, I mean, I, well, see. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be. <laughs> I mean, you know, when, when you're this tall, you don't want to be a distraction, especially when you work with other people. Yes, but, so, but I is mean, is that really a thing? I never thought of you as tall or, or too, you know, as a distraction. Oh, well, you're just cat. Well, yeah, but when you've been when you've been five ten since you were twelve, you know. So that goes little, back to your twelve year old stuff. Maybe yeah, then, you yeah, felt, but you, you know, you're still stuck in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. we we're all stuck in that thing. I mean, but I, at that at the time that I'm playing with them with everyone, I'm a reactive guitar player. You know, right. I'm not so insular that I only hear me and I don't hear anybody else. I'm I'm reactive to the interplay. I'm always listening. I'm not going to say producing, but I'm always listening and trying to find the right place and right time to be in or to be out and make sure that my internal clock is locked with the drummer. Like I could stay on the hi-hat side of a drummer and be happy all night long, whereas a lot of guitar players will want to be far away. And I want to see I'm that. With you. I want to see the hi-hat. You know, I want to know that I'm playing in between. I want to be a part of that. I mean, I know everybody says, oh, bass and drums, that's the marriage, and guitar is sprinkles on top, and it's like, no. Guitar, to me, is so much in common with a hi-hat, especially in groove music. It's, it's, I mean, but but the thing is, everything grooves. I mean, on Walk This Way, that verse lick is some of the funkiest stuff ever. I know. I mean, I mean. You mean the C major part? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but he's just. Yeah, it's just. It's. I mean, it's swinging. There's swing and there's funky stuff in everything. I mean, not not. I mean, labels of music. You know, the people that sell them did that. I think you know the UK had it right when they had a pop chart. Everything that was popular was on that chart. Not certain genres. They had a popular song chart. If I would love if we could go back to that. (laughs) Whatever's popular, put that on the chart. You know, all these subdivisions. Might be a little scary though. (laughs) Nowadays, I mean, you're totally right. However, a lot of it is. uh, Yeah, a lot of it is paid for. That's true. But I'm just saying, as as we split off into subdivisions and this and this and that, especially when it comes to the Grammys and giving categories for 
this and that and rewarding this person and moving that person to that so this person is against this person and the music is not even the same it's right. like if you can't get it right just put it in the pot and make it gumbo you know yeah gumbo's good yeah. they're on to something with those gumbo makers <laughs> now i'm curious like was it an advantage for you to be taller when you were younger could you start gigging out uh yeah, yeah. I, I I started playing in clubs when I was thirteen. I, I mean, lied. I remember playing clubs, and they'd find out you're twenty one, and they'd lock you in the back until no, it was time I to play. I lied about my age. And I was, you know, as long as I didn't drink, I didn't. You know, nobody. They were, I was just a tall girl that was playing guitar that didn't talk to people. But yeah, yeah I was like thirteen when you started playing. When I started playing, what were you? Clubs. What kind of clubs and gigs were you doing at thirteen? Um, and well, you know, growing up in Virginia, they, we have a saying: you either work for the government or you work for the government. So yeah, you know, <laughs> right. the NCO clubs. I played on bases. And then Virginia Beach, they were the clubs on the strip. Military family? Yeah. My dad's ex-army. Yeah. So, yeah, they were, you know, Chitlin Circuit, dance club. What's your, do you remember your first gig? Ooh. First oh. first gig was a talent show. Talent yeah. show. What'd you play? We won. <laughs> you won? Yeah, we won. Uh, we did a, we did a couple of songs, but I think, I think we would. We do some James Brown and some Delphonics. Nice. Because we had you know two singers, one guy was a James Brown guy who did all the dance steps, and then we had you know another guy who had the smooth voice and you know had all the girls screaming. So of course our band won. Great singer always helps. Absolutely. Show me some of your first funk licks that you remember, like that really influenced you. I mean, I mean, it seemed like you know because I was in a small town that every week James Brown had something new out. So yeah. you know, I think. <laughs> That's cool. What was the other? There's always two guitar parts. What was the other one? And then. Uh, yeah. Okay. Are you playing the other part? So funky. And that's like uh, from from uh, talking loud and saying nothing. I love it. And actually, Prince used to st he used to start a couple of when we when we first started going out on tour. He used to start some of the shows with talking loud and saying nothing, and we just do it for like twenty minutes hey, until so the sound guys got everything. You know, it was like a warm up tune. That's you know? funny. Yeah. He liked to do all these after parties where we do all these cover songs, all these songs that we all grew up. You know, playing in clubs or listening to on the radio, and right. you know, like, uh, like, uh, uh, Sly. You know, and he was, he pretty much let everything ring, it was kind of open and loose, you know, oh, whereas, so you know. See, when I first saw Sly, it was on one of those movies where they play movies in your class. <laughs> and they have all the history of music, and I was falling asleep, and they're like, then Sly, and it was like an electric bolt. Uh, Lightning came through uh, the absolutely. ceiling and hit me. And his brother is still playing in a church in the Bay Area, and I can imagine that there's some serious groove, groove going on <laughs> in that church, and I, I hear that he has put out a few records and I am hell bent to go searching for <laughs> because you know those guys and then you know and then Niall came along and just made yeah. everything just nice and gotta have Bernard on there though too 
<laughs> no, no. <laughs> nah, man, he's the reason I started playing electric guitar. I was playing acoustic, but then I heard, oh, freak out. Uh, yeah. I was like, exactly. oh, okay, I got to get a strat. And then Prince is like a combination of all those guys. But then he gets dirty too, because, you know. Does that bend? What was your audition like with Prince? My audition with Prince was um, pretty much... Paisley uh, Park? We met Sheila E., uh, Rhonda Smith and myself, at a Mesa over in uh, Germany. Uh, right, it's like the German Nam show. Yeah, German Nam show. Mess. And mess uh, we were there uh, for Godin Guitars, uh, demoing for them. So it was me and Rhonda, and then we had a DAT machine that had drums on it. So we would play all these crazy songs and, you know, a couple of originals and, you know, a couple of little fusion things. And she just came by and went, wow, <laughs> what are you guys doing? And exactly. At that NAMM show is also where I met Jennifer Batten for the first time. Wow. So this was 96. This was 96, yeah. At that time, she was looking to put an all-female group together. And she had done some stuff with Wendy and Lisa, and she had done some stuff with Michelle and Degacello. So she was still, you know, figuring out who and how many parts and who she wanted to work with. And so she said, send me your demos. And send me you playing in different styles and, you know. So, you know, we sent her a bunch of stuff. We sent her some stuff with us playing some Hendrix stuff. We sent her some stuff, you know, with us playing some, you know, fusion, some jazz, some funk, some everything. Thinking that, wow, we're going to play with Sheila and we're going to be, you know, playing all kinds of music and blah, blah, blah. Well, within a few months, she called us up and said, I sent your stuff to Prince. And we were like... (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. And, you know, he was in the the process of working on emancipation because he was leaving the company at the time. And he sent for Rhonda first because, you know, bass player, of course, he's a guitar player. So he sent for Rhonda first. And weeks later, he sent for me. And my audition was him on drums, Rhonda on bass, and us playing for hours, different styles, all the different styles of the tapes that we had sent. all All the different. Is that the first time you met him? Yeah. So you walk in so the room, is it at Paisley in, Park? Or yeah, it's at Paisley Minneapolis. Park. And, and, you know, and everything that, you know, we did, he wanted to try and he wanted to do. I mean. What did he say when he met you, though? Was he, was he friendly? What's it like when you walk? He was absolutely friendly. Absolutely yeah. friendly. You know, uh, absolutely happy nervous? to meet me. I mean, you know, I always have a heightened sense of awareness, you know, especially when I walk into a situation where, you know, it's the legacy of a, of a guitar player that I love and respect. And I just, you know, want to be there as a support for support to do whatever he feels like the music needs and you serve the music first so that you know that takes me out of at at, at person to person i have four brothers so any man i work with you know i get into brother sister mode so i'm i'm i wasn't really affected in that way as far as the nerves go but i i had no idea how to prepare or what to prepare and i wasn't given anything that i was told to prepare and he just said okay well let's you know, let's play a little bit of that. And so we played Freedom, and he played drums. Yeah. Rhonda played bass, 
and I play guitar. And, you know, I sang it because I sang it, you know, on the demo. Right. I guess basically he wanted to see if it was live or Memorex. If he just gotten <laughs> a tape of a bunch of girls who said they played it and didn't really play it. And, you know, it was great. Was uh, that a thing for people like, can you really play like because you're a woman? All my life. They like seriously doubt I, whether I've it's had, you? I've had guys walk up to my rig at clubs and put their heads to it because their buddies bet them that I wasn't playing. Holy shit. I, I've, yeah. It's never crossed my mind that it would ever be to that degree. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you get alcohol and, and bets and clubs and anything can happen. That's called paying, <laughs> paying your dues. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, uh, you know, if I if I had a dollar for for every time that happened. It, How do you it, feel about the award show? I've never, you know, I've interviewed many women before who are professional guitarists, but never really bring up the gender thing but it interests me like these award shows that are focused solely on women it's really cool it may be the only way that they you know that accomplishments get noticed in in the light that they are noticed this is an acknowledgement you know and right. and in and, and you know any many industries that you know i mean women don't get a fair shake pay wise they don't you know it's a secondary thing but that's that's global it's global, you know, every that's industry. global. Yeah. And that's why the Crystal Awards uh, happen, which is women in film, uh, the same within the same two weeks of the Oscars, because it's, you know, giving women in the film industry who are behind the scenes, who are running, you know, the Fox Network or, you know, who are now uh, head CEOs yeah. of ABC. You never hear about them, but they're the ones that bring in, you know, the Shonda Rhimes who writes five hit shows, you know, but some woman did that, you know. These are the behind right. the scenes things that you may or may not ever see unless somebody says something. Well, they do a lot of really great things. Now, speaking of a really great award show, there's the She Rocks thing at NAMM. And this was the best one I've seen yet this year, 2016. And you guys were the house band. And there's all kinds of great players. I know Nita Strauss came up there. I'm drawing a blank. I know Shaka Khan came up. I don't know if she sang. Shaka didn't sing. Um, But but we had to play her music. And her background singer, who is uh, uh, Rock Sugar, which is our band, um, her background singer, who's Kedison Kai, is our lead singer, sang the song with the Command Sisters and um, and Jennifer, of course, Jennifer Batten was there. Now that was an incredible moment, Jennifer yeah. getting a like a lifetime achievement award yeah, or something. And, yeah. and uh, which what kind of Shaka Khan tune did you play? Um, we actually we actually did "I'm Every Woman" for the big finale. Ah, cool. Um, but um, I don't know that one. I know like the. Oh, or yeah. all that stuff, or what, oh, you play good, all that yeah. stuff. Um, I think. I mean, see, what did we? I think we did. And and the thing is, I watch old footage of of Ray Parker because when you listen to how they did it, you know, and he's 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 that's in there. So it's not. Yeah. It's, yeah. I wouldn't. Cool. He jump jumps down to the court, right? Yeah. See. All these years, I've been playing it wrong. You corrected me. Cool. <laughs> That's I a mean, great jam. Yeah. Um, um, I, I I forget. I, I mean, we did we did so many stingers 
that night. You guys were so good at the stingers, like I so mean, professionally. You started right at the right time and I mean, ended. We did, and we did everything so tight. from that too. We we did everything. <laughs> we did walk this way. We did, yeah, we cool. did cult of personality. Uh, yeah, there were there were a couple of different singers there. Some 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 of the newer stuff. And I mean, well, we're I, jumping all over the place. And I, I want to get back to that Prince guy for a little bit. But <laughs> but what, how were, how did you feel for that Jennifer Batten moment? For me, that was the hands down the most emotional moment I've ever had at a Nam show in terms of watching a Nam event. And I've been to like 20 NAMM shows. Well, for me, it was just so much fun because we were all comfortable. We were all respectful of each other's space. We just held a groove for, for Jennifer and she had a ball. I mean, from the sound check, I mean, because, you know, we just rehearsed. The first time we ran it over with her was the sound check that day. So it's either she's going to dig what we're doing or she's going to play with her recorded tape and she's not going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, she had that option because, right. I mean, Jennifer's played with everybody. And she's very particular about how the table is set. And, you know, if the table is not set right... She's got her backing tracks that she can play with all night long and kill the room by herself. She'll need nobody. But uh, the reward was in days after her emails and, and, and her saying, let's get together and do something. And I mean, yeah. we've known and, and, and respected each other over the years, but we never got a chance to play together so that yeah i don't know if you saw the footage but at one point she looks at me and i look at her and we're like laughing <laughs> yeah i was there watching you know i mean in, in the house you know, and i saw and, the video uh, too you know to have that happen was was really fun but it was also really cool you know for shaka to come up and to just talk to us before she thanked the people for her award she she said the band is killing us. like shaka says we're killing us. you know so cool. and shaka i you know I, you say, when, you I, f- when i first went out with prince shaka was on that tour so you know we were out touring together so you know we we got to know each other then so you didn't say shaka you sure you don't want to sing tonight oh no 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 that it, it was already. i wouldn't have done it that was either. already it was already uh said that she would just be there accepting but you know that she dug what we did. No, that's huge. Did everything. That, is huge. that made everything happen. And of course, I was joking by saying that Prince guy. Yeah. I, I have the most utmost respect for Prince. He's just, you know, he's a genre unto himself. Absolutely. absolutely. He mixes the rock and the funk like nobody else. What do you think the biggest thing is after you learned as a guitar player or just as a musician playing so much with Prince? Um, And, and I think that I was on the path, um, but it's 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 all about respecting what the music needs, giving the music what it needs. And in any given situation, it may need something. It may need silence. It may need a little bit more. It may be a little bit less. He is very economic with his arrangements, you know. Right. In the after parties, we did the jams and stuff like that, but. Inside his writing, his writing is very specific. You know, it sounds loose and it's funky and it's greasy and it's good, but it's very economic in its way. You know, what do you think of? Is there a guitar part that makes you think of that that you I used mean, to play? I mean, just I mean, any and everything. But you know, like I said, it, it depended on what mood he was in. You know, there were there were times where he didn't want to play any guitar at all. He had me and Mike Scott together, and he would just play solos or he would play bass and piano the whole night and 
we'd bounce back and forth. And then, you know, Carlos Santana, we, we played in San Jose and Carlos Santana came down and we had this Santana medley. And then, you know, he and Carlos, that night he felt like playing a lot. And then, you know, at the end, Carlos was like, okay, you play too. And he was looking at me like this. And Carlos <laughs> was like, no, let her play too. <laughs> you know, because Carlos, you know, who's who's grown to be a really good friend. He's married to one of my dearest friends, uh, Cindy Blackman Great Santana. Drummer. I mean, and we've known each other since before all that we you know when when she was right. exclusively playing jazz before she was playing with Lenny Kravitz we were friends for you know ever and ever well you know everybody that much I've I figured mean, out I mean well <laughs> you know I mean like I said the guitar is just the vehicle for the luck in my life and I and I have to uh, uh, give a little shout out to Audio Technica who just makes the best wireless stomp box that doesn't change your tone that you know there's no gate on it there's nothing it's just you plug it in it finds a signal there's no antennas and you just go and get it and also the Hughes and Kettner and also to blue guitar that you were using amp one I don't know well I definitely was getting to all the gear but you blew my mind when I walked in here because I've been wanting to try one of these for so long the blue guitar it's like a the size of maybe three stomp boxes put together small thing three yeah. buttons and it's a 100 watt amp 100 and you know thomas blue is such a great guitar player that instantly of course you want to try it how did you discover the the blue guitar amp well um thomas has been my friend since i started um playing uh hughes and kettner amps in uh, 2004 because he he was the crazy genius guy i went there to thank them for fixing a pedal that i had had of theirs the tube factor pedal and uh, not only did they fix it but they sent me a spare when i was out on tour with cindy lopper she was opening for shares first fair rule tour <laughs> <laughs> and and i just went over to thank them and he said uh would you like to try an amp that's like three of those pedals uh but it's an amplifier and i'm like sure and it was a triumph. And the guy's a genius. He's a super amazing guitar player, but he is a, a guitar tone design genius. And uh, all these years and all the, you know, different uh, ins and outs of, of Hughes and Kettner, I've used them all. I mean, you know, everybody and their dad uses those great amps that they've had over the years. And the, the modeling amps, I mean, when he tells you that he blindfolds himself and works on getting the sound to sound exactly like a AC30 or a, you know a Marshall 900 or you know he's not kidding he he'll, he'll get his technicians to just click them in and they won't tell him and he'll just keep tweaking until he gets it right so wow. the next evolution for him uh, after he did the tube master and the grandmaster was this crazy idea and um, nobody could see it so he just decided to go on his own and put his own money in and and it's the, it's the, the it's killer of the whole thing was Jennifer Batten showing up at that gig at the NAMM show pulling this out of her purse and saying oh let me get my amp and she pulls it out of her purse like it's like it's <laughs> let me like, get my amp like 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 it's like it's her wallet or something and she plugs it into a 412 cabinet and she sounds like she sound that night that's what she was playing she was playing that amp i should play a little bit of it just for yeah. a second for this clean so how do you get clean right that that's clean so you got the clean And then you have a clean boost, which is the pedal in the middle. You got a little boost in the middle. It's kind of like a basement, Fender basement right. kind of. Now, take that out. And, and then, now, uh, 
you've got a couple of different settings. What setting are you in? The classic setting or the classic rock setting? I guess. I don't yes. Know. You are such the hostess. I mean, you you win the no, prize. No, but you got to give the extra <laughs> boost now. You got to give them the give them the extra juice. Okay, Come okay. on now. So then, if I does this it, make it louder, or yeah, is it also add? Yeah, this gives you another add? boost. This gives you the second stage. Then you got these other settings. And that's your Marshall. I just want to take a moment just to thank you for uh, I walk in here and I you know I brought my uh, little micro cube rig of doom. Oh, I love that thing though. I, I love, love those it. too. Everything's they're all great, but you actually set this all up and you brought me a PRS Starla. I love I these guitars. Absolutely. Got the um the yes, B, the um Paul big speed. is making love <laughs> guitars. He's just, you know, he's just he's yeah. too sexy for the room right now. When I saw it, I was like, "Yes, I want that." Oh yeah, these are vibey. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I, I that's you, you win the prize of, of, <laughs> for of all the guests of all the twenty three before you. You have hooked me up when I walked in here, and plus I always wanted to try the blue guitar thing, so I appreciate that. All right. What about the um Cindy Lopper? Um, that's a really what a great singer. She's another one, just so emotional when I see her. She really uh, she's been doing it so many years, and her songs have just become part of pop well, culture. I, I I was afforded the great opportunity to audition and get to know Cindy because of another female guitar friend of mine, Felicia Collins, who was with the David Letterman band Forever and Ever. And she was playing with Cindy at the time that Paul Schaefer called her, you know, for the Letterman gig. And Cindy decided, well, you know, if I'm going to replace you, I want a female guitar player too. And I was living in Montreal. I was married to a Canadian. She was out with the Thompson Twins when I met her. And I met her and she was working at, um, I think it was Manny's. Uh, music store and uh, she was touring in between and um, I also how, met, new, how New York can you get and I also, and I also met the guys from a living color who came to the store that day and they were on their way to a gig had the van put you know the gear in the van and so I, I went down I, I learned the song that she told me to learn and there were 30 other girls that auditioned so it wasn't handed to me right. uh, but if it weren't for you know my my friendship with Felicia to say, hey, you know, come down and check yeah. this out and see if you can. And uh, I auditioned for her, and um, Phoebe Snow was in the room with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> all Cindy asked me after I played it was, uh, can you dance? And I said, you know, I, was, oh, I had played a song that had Wawa. And I said, well, if I didn't have my foot on this pedal, I could, because Felicia's great stage presence. She's a great dancer. I said, well, if I take my foot off this pedal, I can do whatever it is you want me to do. <laughs> oh, that's a killer. And uh, that's how that went. So, um, you know, uh, and we're, we've been friends ever since. I'm one of the multiple godmothers to her son. And uh, um, She seems like a fun person. Absolutely hilarious. I mean, we I have not laughed that hard on the tour since because you know, she keeps you in stitches. I mean, <laughs> Does she do anything really memorable on stage or something? I or? mean, well, <laughs> or when, it was when, always something memorable. I mean, you know, one of her memorable nights, unfortunately, ended up with me twisting my knee. But, you know, one, we were in uh, Sydney, Australia. Or either Victoria, not sure, but we were in Australia, and we were playing one of these stages that was old theater, so it was wood stage. So during a sound check, I'm looking up and I see the stagehands pouring Coca Cola, 
and mopping it over the floors to make the floor sticky. So that you won't slip? So that you won't slip. So, and, and I didn't get that, what they were doing until later, because I figured, okay, maybe they're just doing this up front because they've had accidents or some stuff has happened. I, no way I'm going to be up there anyway. That's all Cindy's space. So we get to the end of the show, and we're doing Money Changes Everything. And, and you know, we're in the break, and she's like, okay, the drums, she's making the drummer you know, do an extended intro. She's like, "Okay, let's 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 be like Mick Jagger and and you know, yeah. and Keith. When I run, you run. You follow me. You chase me. You follow me. You chase me." Now I've got on four inch Manolo Blahnik boots, stilettos. She kicks her shoes off, so I gotta chase her, and she's and she's shorter than me, and she's fast. So I'm still playing Money Changes Everything. I'm still playing, and then she stops on a dime because she could, because her feet right. had the sticky stuff on it. One foot started to slip, and I just stopped, and it ended up twisting my meniscus. <laughs> but we oh, just kept man. playing. And the thing is, yeah. I think I had a guitar that was set up like Keith with uh, the missing string that was tuned, so right. it was a big jangly thing. Yeah, right. But I mean, but I it's like the vamp, tuning. and I'm chasing her, still playing, still yeah. playing that vamp, still playing that vamp, and I ended up tweaking my knee, and nothing happened until we got on the flight, the 18-hour flight back to the States. By the time we got there and landed, they had to get a wheelchair because my knee ballooned. <laughs> oh, man. So sorry. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, we laughed. We yeah. still laugh, and we laugh about it even now. And uh, she's a great friend, and she just got her star. <laughs> she just got her star on the Walk of Fame, and I think that's great for her. And I mean, and even then, she was like, I want to do Broadway. And she, could, she just kept slamming until she, she, she did tickets. Three Penny Opera, and then she started working on Kinky Boots, and here she is, and she is determined. doesn't uh, matter. You being the eternal student, what did you learn from Cindy Lauper from working with her for so many years? The music is key. The music is key. You know, I mean, the thing is, you know, there are musicians who, who tour for artists who, you know, try to assess, you know, where their bosses are or, you know, what happened. But for me, the composer, their first thought, their first thing, what they need and what they need the music to say is everything. Because she was there for every guitar part, for everything. I mean, she would tell me, don't use that. Use a, I want a Fender Strat on this because that's what Niall played. I mean, she's paying attention. She's like, nothing gives that sound but this. And I want you to play yeah. that guitar. Don't use that. I don't want to see that. I want a, a Fender Strat and I want that Nile Rogers sound or, you know, this guy did that and I I want that sound and she's very 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 again very very specific about what's to be played what's not to be played you know don't you know you know some people you know want yeah. you to take license because they might want to find something new in their songs but you have to wait for them to give you a signal for that because then she and I went down to Jamaica and did a Jamaican uh, version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun with Sly and Robbie. So she and wow. I went, and Sly and Robbie were there, and that was a whole different thing. That's and cool. uh, this uh, Jamaican rapper, her name's Patra, came in and, and did a rap on it. And, you know, and then it was totally reinvented, and we created it on the spot.
but you know then you know for a song like I'm Gonna Be Strong um, we kind of all went in the studio and did that together Made me, made me remember that what that cool break on time after time it's like you actually got like a little solo on there yeah but at the time that i was doing it she wanted it changed up she didn't want it exactly really and and this last tour that she's done with you know new york based cast of course mm-hmm. because she's there in new york and i at the time that i was working with her, i i lived there and i also lived here so the minute i moved back out here and you know management does what they do and they got a new york crew and that's you know that's fine and exactly now she decided the tour before this last one to do the record exactly as it was with the exact same parts when i was working with her she was trying to deconstruct everything she was changing it up everyone knows that song what key is it in Oh, no. So catchy. Yeah. One of the catchy 80s tunes. Now, what I was, I was asked, I mean, I couldn't possibly get into all the artists you've worked with, but did, like, what about this Alfie soundtrack, that movie with Jude Law? That was uh, Mick Jagger and Dave Stewart from the uh, Eurythmics. Did you work directly with them, or how did yeah, that go? Yeah, I, I was I, I, I was in studio, and Mick was there, and uh, Will Kennedy, and the, there was a bunch of us. And we started working on this blues, and we started working on this tune, and then the computer crashed, and the session got called off. But we did record, you know, a couple of times, and Mick was playing guitar. Mick was playing acoustic. And then they had to go and get a whole new setup, buy a whole new Mac, set the whole thing up. It was bananas. It was Nightmare bananas. Crash. But at that time, there was no, there were no vocals or anything put on it. I, I think it was incidental music and stuff like that. But Mick, Mick was, Mick was playing great guitar. I was like, I and I didn't know at the time that he played. Did you have any interactions with Mick really? Or oh yeah, hey, yeah, he talked to me. We, you know, he's totally cool. You know, to me about health, and we, you know, we ordered food, and he's like, "Oh, you work out? Are you kind of healthy?" And we're talking about juicing, and you know, I mean, yep. he didn't make it a deal if you didn't make it a deal. So he was just cool. Talking about these huge superstars, you know, there's one superstar, of course, we have to mention, Sugar, otherwise known by his Italian name, <laughs> Zucchero. Zucchero, yes. Zucchero. yes How do you say it? Zucchero. Zucchero. I, you sent me a link, and of course, I've seen other links, and, and uh, I mean, uh, the first one I found on YouTube of you, you're playing at Royal Albert Hall. It's like standing, people are like up in front of the barricade standing up. Yeah. And you're taking a big solo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Solo la sana. You still playing with him, right? Going around? Or? Yes, we are about to head back out in September. Kind of fallen in love with Nashville and then kind of a Tex-Mex thing. So it's a kind of a combination. Don was, is producing, and I think there's a couple of Nashville producers who I don't know who are part of it too. And we're just starting to get the material ourselves. But, you know, he 
the last little tour that we did in North America, he wanted to play smaller places. So we we did small theaters in towns where I, I didn't even know people spoke Italian. You know, you're playing in Nashville in a, in a small theater. Or you're playing the Fox Theater in Detroit. And the Italians are there with the flashlights on and the, and the phones. And they're all, and he's asking wow. them, do you want me to send, just speak in English, speak in Italian? And, you know, and they're <laughs> yeah. like asking for him to speak in Italian. I mean, we played for Putin. In Russia? In, in Russia. Wow. He's you know, a fan, in, huh? in In the building. The Kremlin? or In the building. Wow. And they had their phones up waving because without a woman is, you know, that's like a classic that he did with Paul Young. You know, I mean, and some of his ballads, even the ones in Italian, people love them. And they love him. What a great You know, he gig. would always, every now and then, do a nod to um, Joe Cocker and Do You Are So Beautiful and now that Joe's gone it's like it's even more you know because they were friends uh, we did a, a, a Zuccaro and Friends at uh, Madison Square Garden um, um, year before last and uh, Sting was there because he he did you know a version of one of Sting's tunes and he did an Italian the Italian lyrics and Sting you know sang in English and then they switched I mean, he's wow. done duets with with Miles Davis. He's done duets with BB King. Yeah, he's, he's done, a real deal. He's done duets with everybody and their dads. So I love him. I honestly just started discovering him. Yeah. Just instantly, you just love the guy. He yeah, leads I mean, the whole it's, room. It's, it's 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 one of the few gigs where I actually get to use my whole skill set because in in university I actually was a vocal major. So and I and I you know studied in all languages. So I get to sing in Italian. I get to play mandolin and crazy instruments whatever he asked me to play I get to play it <laughs> and wow. I get to you know I get to do a bit of blues and you know dobro and things that I don't you know I may or may not be known for in the United States as far as that goes and he's just like hey, can you play this part and I'm like yeah sure so go dang guitar um made me uh, a mandolin that was a little bit bigger because my hands are not so small. And they, you know, they, they up, bumped up the scale of it and it's it's lovely. And uh, That's cool. we just have fun, you know. He's And he's magnanimous and I've been working with him for off and on for seven years. What's one of your licks that you like to play or for guitar parts for Zuccaro? And just like, I'm just curious, what are some of the, you sent me one song where you're taking a big solo. What is, what's going on in that tune? I mean, I mean, basically that's, that's a big orchestral thing, so I'm just like. So la sala cosa per lady be the name salva il giovane dallo stretto dalla tolle gatto. And I have to sing all this stuff because he's got like big choral background, so I'm oh. singing all this stuff in Italian, and you know, and at the end, I'm I'm just I'm just it's just oh. blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
Great tone. You, I see you're running the Hughes and Kettner head back there. Yes, they, this is a tube Meister, and I've got, uh, I like to have a couple of different looks uh, as far as, it, it, it depends on the situation where I'm going into. If I'm going into a vintage type of situation, I like to be able to dial it in. You know, certain people want certain, you know, kinds, and the, the, the full drive MOSFET will give me two different stages of, you know, brown, yeah. kind of brown, really dark, growly. Um, the uh, golden brownie and the sweet LED are uh, Thomas Blue signature petals. And uh, the golden brown is kind of like a heavy metal, kind of saturated. You know, I mean, and this pedal board is set up so that even if I go somewhere and I don't have the amp that I want, it'll make any amp that'll play clean sound good. So this is my, oops, I got a rental all right. <laughs> to bring the pedal board. But if I oh, have my own amp, then, you know, that's, that that does it. But now with the, you know, entrance of Amp One, I don't think the blue I have guitar that, thing. I don't have that problem anymore. Oh, it's so tempting. And um, the, this Morley Wawa, actually, Steve Vai came up to Paisley Park and gifted us all these. And uh, I've horses. never used anything since. And I... Absolutely. That's nice. He comes bearing gifts. Oh, he came up there, and I, you know, I absolutely. And you don't have to click it. It's all. Great tone. You know yeah. I mean, it's like, gotta love it. I mean, you gotta love it. <laughs> hey, hey, we're gonna take just a quick little pause for the cause. Just one, just to tell you that Audio Technica and the System 10 Stompbox Wireless brought you this show, and we really appreciate it. We need support from our genius friends in the industry, and they like the podcast, and they, they brought you this show, and it's a killer product. That little System 10 stomp box, man, I love it. It sounds so killer. The first thing it does is find the clearest, most pristine virgin frequency in the air, and it latches onto it like a pit bull on a mailman. Okay, maybe that's a bad analogy. It just really sounds killer. It always changes frequencies when it needs to to find the clearest signal. It works great with two guitars. I use it with two transmitters, so I can switch between two guitars all night. I love that. You can run it with you know acoustic on one side, electric on the other. Or you can run it with different amps and switch between different amps with the foot switch or switch between amps and your and your tuner. And, of course, we want to give one of you lucky listeners a System 10 Stompbox Wireless from Audio-Technica. Just put your name in the form at guitarplayer.com slash Cat Dyson. That's Cat with a K. And at random, we will select a winner and maybe you'll send me a picture of yourself smiling and beaming with your new System 10 Stompbox Wireless and I'll throw it on the No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page, and it'll be all jolly. All right, good luck. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to jamming with Cat. Funky. I mean, it's got, it's got a big sweep. Yeah, I love it. I was going to take your picture. I'll take a picture of my foot up fractured my toe a couple of weeks ago before the black girls rock thing i had to get on a plane the next day you and your how did you do that one my stepson who was trying to actually help me take some gear to the car Uh uh-oh size 15 shoe size 11 
I didn't have on shoes. He did. Oh, he owes you some favors. Oh, he's he's feeling guilty every day. <laughs> but oh, and on a personal note, I mean, I think since the last time I saw you, I've come on the good side of battling cancer, and I found someone that actually gets my life, and I'm engaged. So, are, are we wearing similar, uh, very si- similar uh, magnets? First of all, you are so blessed for those things, and absolutely, that's great. Absolutely, and absolutely. Uh, are we wearing similar bl- bracelets? <laughs> we are. We're wearing this. Uh, it looks like the energy armor thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this was a present. And, you know, I just interviewed Steve Vai the other day for mm-hmm. one of these things. It'll be out in June when his new album comes oh, he, out. Oh, he endorses them? Yeah, he, well, he, he stopped me. And he's like, what is that? I want that. <clears throat> I'll pay for it. You know, how do I get one? You know, I, They're not I expensive. Started, I, I, I started one. using it. Um, um, unfortunately, uh, in 2012, I was rear-ended. And I was leaning like this, sitting oh, at a stoplight three blocks from my house. Sort of. So when the guy hit me, he hit me so hard, and I had my foot on a brake, and I have a Jeep. He pushed me into the car in front of me, so my head hit the glass, and then I did the reverse uh, backlash thing. And for a month, I couldn't play but an hour, and my whole hand would just freeze. Oh, so I started wearing these to get the strength in my hands back, yeah, they're, they're like negative and, ions or yeah, something. Yeah, and and then and, and I golf as well. So it you know it helped in so many ways. And I mean, and I I ended up uh, getting therapy from uh, Dr. Springer, who's the one that you know worked with um, Pete Townsend. Oh yeah, yeah. He worked with him. You know, he worked with a lot of guitar players. He got uh, Patrice Russian had a thing with her shoulder and her arm. He got her into shape. Are you doing better? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but I'm saying that was a couple of years back, but I'm just saying, you know, I had to build my hand strength back up because there was something, you know, the nerve because of the hit. And uh, I wear this. I don't take... I got rear-ended once by someone, a woman who was texting, although she didn't... I didn't read it. This gentleman was texting, too, and uh, he is someone in the music industry. And the thing is crazy thing and I can't even make this up the guy he pushed me into was an undercover FBI agent who got out of his car showed his badge first and said you guys know each other and it turns out I didn't know the guy who hit me he he was one of the owners at the time of Amp's rehearsal studio so when I got out and I'm like he's like hey you all right and this so this FBI agent thinks that we know each other and we're chasing each other and it's some big convoluted drama thing. And I'm like, dude, I just got hit. I was sitting at the light with you. What are you talking about? Wow. It was, it was like if there were a comedy reality show about accidents, this was the one. It was ridiculous. Truth is stranger than fiction. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything new on the horizon you want to talk about? Um, well, this tour coming up with Zucro, that's, that's the next big deal for me. So I've got to jump back into it. See, that is the, a big deal. The way I kind of keep everything separated is golf. Golf is the only time that the music stops playing in my head. Wow. So <laughs> um, I've also been, um, because of a good friend of mine who was one of uh, Whitney Houston's background singers, she's now the minister of music over at Andre Crouch's old church, and Andre Crouch passed away, and his sister, twin sister Sandra, is now the minister. So I've been playing gospel music, but like, you know, the new age gospel Love is, that stuff. is really intense and very so and we do some Christian rock 
and some of the contemporary gospel. So there's a blend of the hip hop with the rock. So it's always a challenge. It's, oh, it's yeah. not it's not your mother's hymns. I love that stuff. Are you kidding? I listen to a lot of that so stuff. So I, I you know I do that every Sunday that I can when I'm in town. And is there and an example of one of the songs that you that you would that have that they're they've they're huge riffs, modern sound, lots of syncopation, cool chord changes. Like it's like you said, it's really. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot. <laughs> there's so much. Like I don't know. There's a lot. Um, let me see. That's nasty. And then the whole band that. plays those crazy licks. I mean, and there's there's tons of them. And I mean, I have to write every week. What it does for me, it makes me sit down and write and read, which a lot of guitar players don't get a chance to do if you're not called to do so. It, it helps me not be lazy. Where did you study? And it helps me write things down. I studied at Norfolk State University. In Virginia. And now that I've started taking these lessons you know, with my friends. Oh, and I also, I love Alan Hines. Great and, player. And I just man. downloaded his whole series, even though he's giving me hell. He's like, oh, just come up to the house and I'll show you all of it. And I'm like, Alan, what you do will take me to really act like I'm a child and prep because he's so smooth with it, but it's so skanky and it's so dirty, but it's so smoothly done that you don't yeah. even you don't even get how the two things can happen together. I mean, anybody that uses wah-wah with a slide, I'm happy. I'm happy about that guy. Right. So um, I'm just yeah. looking to get more, to learn more, to, to get better, to, you know, to just be more present in the music and hopefully I'll find some space and air to figure out what I want to say, you know. And people keep asking me, when are you going to come out with your record? When are you going to come out? But it's like, it's like you're in a gourmet restaurant and you're eating gourmet food all the time and they ask you, when are you going to cook for yourself? Well, <laughs> the plate that's being laid out, laid out for me is like so delicious and it's, and it's so many good things to try. You know, I'll, I'll get around to it. <laughs> but, and it's going to be an amalgamation of everything because we are, I mean, just like the human body, you are what you eat, you are what you listen to. And I'm, you know, I'm just so greedy. I'm it. such a child as far as my... My curiosity about music and just wanting to absorb if I could be a sponge that would that would be you know it for me because I just I, so many good things you want to hear and so many good things you want to do and you know if somebody asked me well if you won the lottery tomorrow would you quit playing I'm like only for a little while I would quit touring but I would go to the countries where these instruments have fascinated me and study right. I would go to Brazil and learn how to play that the guitar with the eight strings that all the bossa guys use and I would go you know to Senegal and learn from a Cora player and I would go to Greece and learn Belalanka and I would go to Japan you know I and would you, yeah. go you know I would go there and you'd bring your golf clubs oh absolutely golf is <laughs> always everywhere but I'm saying I would I would go and study with these guys I would yeah. go to Cuba and learn the tres that's amazing I was at the NAMM show once and this guy was playing the oud and he blew my mind I don't know his name yeah I, and 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 Godin made an oud and I have one <laughs> Sweet. I have one. I mentioned that <laughs> and also. And I play it in Zucrow's show. <laughs> My brother does film and he, you know, documentaries. And mm-hmm. he went, one time he went over with the PBS show Frontline to Baghdad. And he brought me back an oud, which wow. is so wonderful. I still barely know how to tune it, you know. Well, thank you so much for uh, meeting with us. Well, and, I uh, hope that you have some Sonics that you can use. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, no, it's just been killer. Thanks so much. Thanks for uh, bringing me this awesome blue guitar floor amplifier.
Wow, talk about keeping it alive until you're 95. Kat Dyson, who's nowhere near 95, but she seems like she's on the path to, you know, just keeping the spirit going. That's incredible. I took a lot of inspiration from that. As promised, let's head over to Paul Reed Smith's Southern California showroom. It's at one of the major rehearsal facilities near the Burbank Airport where they have a secret showroom. I guess it's not that secret if you're an artist. Wynn Krozak runs that place. Wynn is an incredible musician, guitarist, and amazing, astonishing keyboard player. He's got that room completely dialed. It's a great little haven in the middle of uh, L.A. And we're going to go over there. We're going to meet with another inspiring guitar player, Mike Scott, who, as I mentioned, you know, you, of course, know from episode 12 of No Guitar Is Safe, where we went deep on some Prince stuff, being that, you know, this interview with Kat was done just four days before Prince died. It seemed only fitting that since Mike and Kat, both former bandmates with Prince, since they were both in town, we might just sit down on a couch for a little while and just kind of reflect a little bit on Prince, who is a, such a profound force on, on so many people, including myself and especially them. Let's head over there. Dim the lights for some mood, man. And play some sad music on the strings, bro. No. <laughs> Don't tempt him because he will. Yeah, he, he will. will. <clears throat> well, yeah, I mean, just first of all, thank you guys. It's so fresh what has happened. And it's just, it's been five days or something, but it might as well have been five seconds ago. I thank you guys for meeting here. As uh, first of all, I want to say how sorry I am. I mean, I can't imagine because the music fans like me have been listening to Prince since I'm 10 years old. We feel it so strong. And you guys work with him. How you guys doing? Doing all right? Yeah. Um, well, Kat, I'm going to let you ladies first. Well, I mean, you know, it is the reality. It is what it is. But it still seems like just some kind of surreal, mystical mishap. You know, it just it doesn't feel real. Um, and I was telling Mike that uh, when the news broke, Rhonda Smith, who was his bass fairly when we were all together, she and I were on the phone because we talked to each other pretty much every day because we're friends for over 20 years. And we heard the news at the same time, which made it even more just spooky and crazy because we were actually saying, wow, he canceled some shows a couple of weeks ago. He must have really been feeling bad because he's always been such a trooper. That he, would pl- he would play through any and yeah. everything. And we would almost have to say, hey, man, take care of yourself. And she had a premonition that she she says, I just hope I don't read that something more serious is wrong with him. And within 10 minutes of us talking, the news broke. And my fiance came in the room and said, uh, there's something going on at Paisley Park. It's broken on the news. Somebody's dead. And we were just You already stunned. knew what it was. Then. We were just stunned. This is, this is one of those things you'll remember exactly where you were at that moment for your entire life. Where were you, Mike, when you heard? Um, How I did was, you find out? I was at home uh, doing some stuff on uh, Pro Tools when the news broke. And I, I, I agree with Kat. Uh, Prince was just a trooper. He never he would never succumb to the cold or tiredness or fatigue or anything. He was constantly 100% energetic and healthy always. And even if he was a little sick, you didn't you didn't even you didn't even know that he was sick. And I was sitting in front of Pro Tools and uh, 
one of my friends from LA here texted me and said, uh, Prince just died. And I was like, what? And we ran to the t in front of the TV, me and my wife ran to the front of the TV. And sure enough, uh, <clears throat> they had a, a news flash. <clears throat> but you know what's crazy? I agree with Kat and what Rhonda said. I, when they said it, they had to land his plane, you know how you know how people always say don't put bad energy in in the air by verbalizing something. I knew I've said, man, if they had to stop his plane, something something's yeah. really wrong. Something's wrong. And neither and of us even want to even say it. And then before we could even verbalize the thought, within ten minutes. Yeah. If yeah. I were to ask you, Ray, this what 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 was one of your favorite moments on stage? Just like of all the tons and countless shows you've done. What what stand, stands out as you as a really precious memory playing with Prince? I, I think one of our first gigs when we were doing the Emancipation Tour, uh, the Brit Awards, we had fun. Yeah, the I, I, they've had somebody put clips on and you forget that you did. It's like, oh, yeah, we did that. Yeah. Also, too, Face Down. Oh, the yeah. The live <laughs> Face Down on Chris Rock. <laughs> Yeah. Chris Rock had a television show, right? Yeah, yeah. And we went on there and did this jam called Face Down. Yeah, Woo! yeah, that was that was a moment in time. What was so great about that Chris Just, Rock show, for example? Well, the, the track was funky. The yeah. band was funky. And we laughed so hard because the words were so funny and, like, hilarious. Yeah. And, like, the video is funny and hilarious. It's around death, yeah, which around makes death. it even more gallowish. Yeah. You know, because, like, the hook and in the video, I'm, like, the psychoanalyst. And I'm doing dead like Elvis, you know. Yeah. And the guy, you know, he's singing about this guy that asked to be buried face down in his coffin. So it's, like, it's very gallowish. But, but the live performance that night. But Mike and I... Playing together, playing with this guy, come on. Oh, yeah, the two of you. Over. Man, you know, but like Kat said, it's just crazy. It's hard. Uh, even though the people that I've been talking to, and I'm sure you all have, nobody wants to. It's almost like it's a surreal. It's almost like a dream. You're waiting for somebody to wake you up and say, oh, man, that dream Prince died, you know, because nobody wants to really accept it, even though it's actually happened. You just can't You can't wrap your head around it. And as for the first two days, I was texting. People were calling and texting from all over the world. World and I just kept writing. I, was, I don't have any words. I don't know what to say. I'm, I was literally speechless. I didn't even, I couldn't say yeah. anything. I didn't know what to say. And it's like you guys were saying, like, uh, we all think of Prince as doing the big concert and then later that night doing like a three hour hit well, after he, hours. Did you ever a, do any of those? He was a healing athlete. He was Hercules did athlete. I mean, I put yeah. those things together, even though he might have been diminutive in, in size, but his will to share all he had. At all times, in every setting, he was like Hercules. He was like, and you know, I mean, I used to ask, he called me at 3 o'clock one morning um, because he was recording, and unbeknownst to me, he was using one of my instruments because <laughs> he liked it. And I had it in my hotel room, and he called me up at 3 a.m. He had Takumi to call me, and, and he said, like, what are you doing up? I'm like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, when do you sleep? And he said to me, and he would constantly say this to me afterwards because I'm a bit of an insomniac myself. He says, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Sleep when you die. He would say that That's, a million He would times. say it all the time. I'm like, well, you got to rest sometimes. He said, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I, I, I get rest, but I'll sleep when wow. I'm dead. The dude, we would do those after parties after a three-hour gig. The, they'd go to reset up, and we'd hit the stage two, three in the morning sometimes and play to the sun up, you know, and he just, a cat, I know, I'm sure you remember once we were having a sound check, and it started late that evening, and it went 
till the next morning. And his wife had to come out there. And she said, "You can hear it through the mic." She said, "Baby, it's almost seven a.m." And the band was just so we were just all on stage, just playing with our eyes closed. <laughs> and he was just ready to go. He was ready to go. She had to let him know what time it was. <laughs> I don't funny. think he knew. Well, now I know you guys were taken care of. I know he, from what I've heard, he really took care of his band members and everything, like financially and stuff. Yeah. But I also know it seems kind of like you were often really on call. Like you never knew when he could call. My friend Sundra Manning once, you guys know her? She played keys for Prince for a bit or something. And she, she said, yeah, you call like four in the morning or something. Everybody to my hotel room. Breakfast. Movies. Show you some new songs. We oh, we go to a movie at three a.m. Two oh, a.m. Yeah. You'd be in bed yeah. already. Um, Prince wants everybody to go to a movie. <laughs> I mean, my my very first gig with him um, was the David Letterman show that he did, and he had slave on his face. And I had I was in Montreal because Rhonda got to Paisley Park before I did, so right. that was my very first show before I moved to. You know Paisley and everything, and uh, we did David Letterman and Michelle and Degachello ended up hooking up with us, and we ended up going into a studio after David Letterman and staying in there till five in the morning just jamming. And he was recording all kind. He recorded everything, you know. So that was like, hey, how you doing? And he looked at me, <laughs> and he's like, you're not sleepy. I said, well, I'm an insomniac. He says, well, we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, test the levels of your insomnia. Oh yeah. Did he ever produce you, like, in when you're recording? Like, did he ever give you any coaching on the guitar, or like, or like help you find your part, like, a, like we all know a great producer will do? Or I'm not sure if he did any formal. He, he did me once on this song when we came up with some beautiful guitar on this song. It wasn't "Beautiful Girl in the World." It was that other one. Anyway, he was in the booth. I had attempted to lay a guitar part down on one of his songs, and. Um, he came in and said, okay, that's cool what you did there, but try something different. And we ended up redoing, we did the whole song from beginning to end. But I cannot think of the name of that song. Mm. It's uh, It'll come to you. Which album was it on? The Greatest Romance. The Greatest. I played the guitar on that, but Prince orchestrated pretty much the part. So we put our heads together and we created this beautiful guitar in this song. It's called the greatest romance that ever the seven been told. Rhonda and I were in um, in rehearsal one day, just messing around. I had an acoustic, and you know I was playing a pattern that you know that I liked. And he said, "Let's record that." And um, he said, "Just just record it as it is, those two sections." And it turned into "Dreaming About You," that's mm. on the uh, Emancipation record. And he right. really didn't change anything with me about it. He said, "I like it just like that." He says, but I want you to do a couple of different tracks. And, you know, when you're in a rehearsal and you're messing around with a lick and it's extended and you're not thinking about it, you know. But when it came time to record it, it was more difficult than I imagined. I made it hard for myself because it was very, very extended. And after you do that a couple of times, (laughs) you can't start to lock up. But as it turns out, you know, it was something that we were messing around with. And he heard it and he says, record it. And he wrote lyrics to it. That's great. And it's funny because uh, I know he would yell stuff out on stage, just like cues. Like, well, you, you were just on the phone before this interview, like talking to your wife <laughs> outside. Yeah. And I, I always call you, Mike's got chicken grease. Because yeah. <laughs> you said that he would yell that out to you to when yeah, obviously. Yeah, he yelled out chicken grease. But the most important thing he would yell out, cat will or cosign, was on the one. And you yeah. better not miss that. Oh, no. And then on the one, like we'd be grooving, grooving, grooving on the one. And you'd be right, boy, if you. <laughs> You weren't listening or watching, and you missed it. Fine. 
<laughs> your head would roll. Would he actually find you? Oh yeah. He, oh yeah. So he had the, James the money Brown. went to his charity though. Yeah. You know, so oh, yeah. It, 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 it was it was it, it stung to get to get stung, but yeah. it all went for a good cause. It went to a good cause. Yeah, I hear he did a lot of charity stuff, but Absolutely. of course he never really talked about it publicly. No. But you no. guys. We had a big people. cuss jar at Paisley. Oh, yes. Boy, I, I think I pretty much feel that on it. <laughs> <laughs> there goes, here's basis. Mike's paycheck. $100 into the cuss jar. $800 into the cuss jar. $1,000 in the cuss jar. So I have that box set, One Night Alone, and Candy Dolfer, the sax player, talks about how, the, how Prince said, Candy, turn around. And like she thought it was like turn around, so she turned around to the audience and showed her backside, but really it meant the turnaround of the tune. Oh. <laughs> and like... <laughs> Maceo and someone else was were giving her crap. <laughs> any any funny moments on stage you remember? I know you told me it was a great one in the where his rig wasn't working. Oh yeah, like in your episode. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, there's always comics comical stuff that happens in any band. No, he was funny the whole time. There's no one thing. I mean, you know, yeah. he he was joking and he would clown you quick. And I mean, for me, I don't know if you remember Mike. When when we were forming the first set of shows together for the love of one another, and he asked me if you could add something to this show, would you, what would you add? And I remember when I told him, I think you should sit down with your guitar and play a song or two. Mm. That's big and play small. And remember, he yeah, joked yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. He joked me. He made everybody laugh, and he made he clowned me for like yeah. hours. And he says, "Oh, Dyson, you're so boring." And and, mm. and he called me Dyson sure because enough. there was another cat before me. And when he finally did the One Night Alone tour, I was back with Cindy Lauper, and we were all in Canada because you know that's where you start your tours. He was playing in Hamilton, but I was with Cindy in Toronto. He sent a car for me from Toronto to Hamilton, got wow. me in the middle center seat for that show so he could look at me the whole time he did it. <laughs> Like, he would never say you were right, but he just looked at me and winked and, <laughs> and did like this. He's doing that acoustic thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and the people oh, yeah. went crazy and they loved it. And he smiled at me and I'm smiling at him. I'm like... <laughs> So yeah, that yeah, was fun. And it seemed to be an element of his tours ever since, I guess, Absolutely. right? And the big, when yeah. I saw you, Mike, before I ever met you, but I saw you on that tour, I think it was Musicology. Yeah, and he, he did the little guitar yeah. in the middle thing. I was playing under the stage. I was playing acoustic also. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, nobody knows that. The people on my side of the stage could see me right there playing. But the yeah. rest of the audience had no idea. Because he was I getting noticed. some really big chords. If you were listening, you were probably like, how the hell is he in that chord? <laughs> Full but, sound. But Mike, you remember when he joked me that day. Yeah, right? I do you remember? <laughs> you know, yeah. he was always, see, see me, I'm, I have four brothers, so I'm, I'm comfortable around men. A lot of women in his band weren't comfortable around men, but I've been, my father's army sergeant, I have four brothers. I mean, you know, I've been around men all my life, so he would ask me something. I'm not scared. I was like, well... You asked me, so this is what I think. I've never been shy. So, you know, I paid for it a lot. They laughed at me a lot. <laughs> he knows yeah. it. But Prince, he appreciated you being honest. You know, he he likes when people are real, you know, rather than, because most people he meets, they're just a fan and they're in awe. Yeah. He'd rather you just be yourself and be real, you know, just say that. I, I remember him meeting chicks that they would say, like this one girl said to him, she said, wow, you're really short. And I thought for sure he's going to be like, security, you know, yeah. get her. But he was impressed that she was that bold to be that honest, you know. Yeah, you got really short in real life. Real conversation. <laughs> I guess. What was Paisley Park like hanging out there? And that's, you know, I finally just, I've always heard about it and I finally looked at a whole bunch of pictures. It's a lot bigger of a place than I picture. That's like a, it's a compound. Well, it's changed, it's changed a lot in the years from like when I first met you. Yeah. 
it's completely different from there. I can imagine. And the last I was there was uh, just two years ago before this Justin tour started. And it's just, uh, it's a great place, you know? It's like, uh, it's like his little palace, it's like his palace. And he always used to tell us, this is my home, treat it like my home, you know? Don't uh, come in here disrespecting my home. It's a beautiful place. I hope they turn it into a museum or something. I hope they don't. Well, they say they have plans to. So, you know, I just remember it being really expansive, but inclusive and not really cold. There's specific places for everything. The kitchen was great. We used to cook in there, eat in there, take breaks, room for dance. That was a serious dance studio with the mirrors and the bars, just like in a, you know, in in a ballet studio. I mean, the soundstage, I mean, they shot... Grumpy old men on that soundstage. That's how big that soundstage was. And it also wow. doubled as a basketball court, doubled as a place where you did concerts. Concerts, I mean, yeah. huge. I mean, and then, you know, there were rooms that, to this day, I never saw because there were vaults and, you know, catacombs in his apartments and where he yeah, lived. And the, and up, the offices. I mean, it's a huge place. Yeah, and, they, and the soundstage was huge. He could do a concert. He could do a concert hold a few right. thousand people, oh, or yeah. shooting like they shot part of Purple Rain there and shot graffiti, graffiti bridge there. Yeah, graffiti and, bridge. Uh, I mean, it's, it's huge. But yet he would always come out here too and rent like a big house in Beverly Hills or something for a while. You guys ever come out to some of these places? Oh yeah. Yeah, back uh, back then he had that one place. I don't remember where that place was. Yeah, my 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 last um, gig with him was uh, the 2005. Um, NAACP awards when he did that 12 minute medley without commercials the first time 12 minutes of music has ever been played on television with no commercial breaks uh, wow. and that was the night that they gave him a vantage award and they gave Oprah a vantage award and Barack Obama was there uh, wow. he was still a senator right and of course there was a big party at this place that he uh, rented this uh, one of the Lakers rented him his house and it was all done up in purple and every room had a signature cocktail and signature colors and you know everybody was there J.J. Abrams you know people from Warren Buffett I mean Oprah all, and Oprah's date for the after party was Barack so <laughs> I got to meet him and talk to him and at that party Oprah said after a few cocktails this guy's going to be your next president. He's like, oh, wait, I just, I just became a senator. He had just given that big <laughs> right. speech. So many things happened that night. The The birth of the idea of Joni Mitchell and Herbie Hancock's record happened mm. that night. Were they both Because there? they were both there. And they started talking and putting their heads together. And, you know, and hence it became. And he was even on that record. And he didn't get, he didn't ask for any credit. But he played guitar on that record, too. And wow. it, remember yeah. the year that it won the Grammy of the Year yeah. Award for that record and stunned everybody. A jazz record won Album of the Year. And I'm like, yes. You know, so, so many things yeah. happened that night, you know, at that party. Yeah. That's you know. wild. No, but that, that was, you know, when he came into town, he came into town for that. You know, he came into town to get you know feedback to 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 rub elbows to exchange ideas it was all communication you know all communication for him i mean anthony hamilton was there that night i mean so many great singers and players and he used to throw a lot of parties at this mansion that you're talking about i had heard i would hear about the parties and when i was on the east coast 
when you were just telling and y'all were just talking you made me you asked about a funny story I have a funny story I was playing with uh, with Kirk Johnson with some band at, at his place Glam Slam mm -hmm. when Glam Slam was open he had a club in Minnesota it was very popular and he, Prince he would show up you know it's his club when bands are playing so he's peeking from out of the curtain telling him let me play let me play and I'm like why does Prince over here so I walked over I gave him my guitar I'm playing an Epiphone 335 he came out the crowd went crazy he jammed took a solo and I'm off stage like you know hey man Prince is playing my guitar next thing I know I hear this big clang and I, and you know the song was over and Prince walked off stage I came out my guitar was on the floor and everybody in the audience was like they had that that uh, home alone look on their face, and oh my then God. They, they they told me, they said, "Man, Prince, just do your guitar." So <laughs> I saw a video after when he they did last. He did a solo and did a cadenza, and blah, he threw the fucking guitar, and he walked away. Wow! <laughs> did he repay in you? pieces? It, no, it it actually did not have a scratch. I couldn't what? believe it. And Kirk called me the next day and said, "Prince said he'd replace or repair your guitar." I said it's fine it's perfectly fine but I, I wish I had seen it I just I just walked out I came out all happy picked my guitar up and everybody was just like <laughs> everybody had that home loan on their face and I, I'm like what happened like, that didn't work out just, so good for the threw the shit out of your guitar for the guy in the um, yeah the roots uh, the, on the roots on the Jimmy Kimmel show it looks pimp I'm though it looks his so name. pimp his was like a vintage SG or something yeah it was a vintage he it, broke it and the yeah. keyword is was he threw it on Kimmel and it looks pimp as hell and the thing, he, the thing he would do on stage when he would do that, it I was guess Kimmel. It, it was Kimmel, not 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 the, not the Roots. Right, it was Kimmel's show. It was Kimmel's show. So yeah. it was it was it was Toshi's guitar. No, it was, uh, no, no. I think no, it was. It was um, I think it was. I think it was uh, Jim, Jimmy. Sorry, yeah, Fallon. Was dude, yeah. Oh, I think Fallon. Yeah, it was Jimmy yeah, Fallon's show. Fallon, Fallon. Yeah, yeah. He threw his guitar, and it was some vintage. Oh yes. What's that guy's name? Captain? Or? Yeah, I know who you're talking. Uh, about. Yeah. Anyway. He, yeah, he would do that on stage, though. It, look, it looks pimp, though. But I mean, the thing, what thing is, throw he throws it, but there's always Takumi, Takumi or, would be down or, there or whoever his tech was <laughs> would either grab it or take it in the face, but yeah. wouldn't, let it fall, wouldn't let it break. Takumi had a couple battle scars, but he would catch it. Now, he first of all, it. why do you think Prince would do stuff like that? Like Because pimp. he could. But with somebody pimp. else's priceless, one-of-a-kind guitar, like I know he's going to repay him and whatever... But it's, it's almost. What is that about him? It's just rock and roll as hell. No, uh, to me, it's just, it's the same as Hendrix lighting a damn strat on fire. But that's his guitar. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's even more pimp. I when mean, it's not his. <laughs> it's, it's part of Prince's mystique, almost the way that he would do these just super edgy things, yeah. and he would always take care of people. But there'd be that moment. Yeah. Like I mean, making fun of He came to a, a club date of mine here in L.A. after I moved here, and I was working with Sheila. And yeah. he, he's like, and I had a couple of, and I had a couple of guitars, and uh, there was a telly and a PRS, and he wanted to play the telly. He said, "Don't worry, I won't throw it." Because <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him, I was like, <laughs> don't, "Don't, throw my mess, man." Uh, yeah, know. Takumi, that guy's cool. I, I met him when, and uh, he was doing ACDC. Mm -hmm. He took me on a whole tour of the ACDC stage and everything. Let me play. Yeah, Takumi was his tech for a long time. Yeah. Then he's doing Bon Jovi. Takumi does a lot of yep. stuff. You he's know, a, a, a crazy once-in-a-lifetime moment I know you all saw. I was with him during the, the Hall of Fame induction. And when he got up there with all those guitar players, man, that was just, that was a moment in time. His act sounded perfect. His lead tone was perfect. 
and it was just he was in the zone man you know it was a crazy crazy bunch of folks that were there and they were trading solos but they let him prince clearly stole the he stole the night that's usually what he does yeah <laughs> going back to takumi man takumi was amazing tech because he could he could change prince's rig and prince wouldn't he wouldn't sonically hear the difference but he could dial it in so well that he didn't know that he had changed rigs because uh the amps right. were under the stage and uh, Takumi told me once, I know he's going to kill me for this. He said, man, Prince thinks he's playing through those other amps, but he's playing through, I put these mesas under here, and he... he, he Why did he do that? Uh, he knew they sounded better. Oh, Yeah, so he would, you know, occasionally change his amps, and he, as long as it sounded good, oh, yeah. as long as his lead tone was killing and his clean tone, because as Cat would tell you, Prince's clean tone has no dirt. There's oh, no, no dirt in clean. Yeah, no. that clean got to be shimmering mirror clean. That's the funk, and he would often just plug straight into mixing board when for tracking. That, yeah, for that clean for stuff, like through, just Absolutely. through a DI countryman straight into the board. Sometimes, I guess Nile Rogers did some of that too. Absolutely. Oh no, I think I almost caught them doing that live once. I heard them say something about. It. I think they were running line off of him, a direct clean line as well as his amp line over the funk stuff but that was way back I thought I heard them checking that one time because I was like why is this clean so clean <laughs> you know hey that's that's the tone man I don't know so I just really thank you guys for doing this um if you could think of what I mean it's so fresh but like what what does Prince teach you what's the biggest lesson he taught you as a musician and as a person if anything um, comes to mind to just seize the moment and attack it with everything he used to st- he used to have, I mean, he used to say it, and it was almost like a joke and a kind of like a diss, but in essence, it wasn't. He said, use your whole mind. Like, did you use your whole mind to play that thing? You know what I mean? And you would laugh. But, right. you know, everything he did, he just put his whole self into. And he's like, how you practice is how you're going to perform. So if you hold back here, you will hold back there. So he was like maximize the moment i think that's what i always got because whatever moment he was in it was on 100 at all times are you making anything in in my opinion to co-sign on what she said prince was uh like the he was the most incredible band leader i've ever worked with because he he would push each musician he'd push you beyond whatever you thought your limits were and uh with simple things like he teaches a song with a million changes and you'd be sitting there saying i can't remember i'm not gonna remember this you know but he would always say you can remember just think about the next part before we get to it don't wait till we get there just just think about what you got to play next and next thing you know we 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 got we have a library of 200 songs oh my God. and three of them we probably hadn't played in a year he showed it to us a year ago and he would call it at any time or maybe a year later remember the shorthand he would come it. over and look at my shorthand and go oh, yeah, what is be, that yeah cuz he he teaches a song once and he'd be like we never play it again, but we might play it again a year from now. And he oh. wouldn't let us record because no, the, 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 previous, record. the previous tour, someone, some engineer or somebody recorded every rehearsal, packaged it up, and sold it in yeah, Europe so like, he wouldn't like a box set. That is so So low. they killed any chance we had of at least having tapes to go home and rehearse with. We couldn't do any of that. Yeah. I developed playing with one hand and writing with the other, the shorthand. He would come over and joke with me and go, 
That looks like pigeons stepped on the paper. <laughs> well, I suggest upon uh, what she's saying, when he wouldn't let us record because it was so much stuff to remember. I told him, I said, why don't you record for us and then give us the recordings at the end of the day? Because one day, uh, sometimes he eventually started letting us each have a recorder. And I reached for mine before he said record one day. Do you remember that cat? It ended <laughs> rehearsal. He was like, oh, why would you touch record? I didn't say you touch record. And he came over and took my recorder and... He hid it inside the piano, and it. He was so angry it ended rehearsal because he didn't want somebody was recording rehearsals right. and releasing them, and selling but, them like they were albums. But to finish that point <laughs> so I was wrong. making, he was the uh, he was an excellent band leader because he taught you how to. The most important thing I mentioned this to you in another um, uh, interview we did. He always used to say, "Stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay in your lane," and and watch how funky it's going to be. Don't add one extra lick. Play the line. And I don't care how simple the line is, just don't play one extra note. And Jude, at the end, when we would listen to it back, it would be the funkiest mess. Your line may not be but a single note line, and you'd be bored yeah. as hell after 20 minutes of playing it. But it would be so funky because everybody yeah. stayed in their lane. That's why I, feel, I hear that every time I play, like, you know, the recording of Controversy or something. You play it so loud, all the little parts fit together. Yeah. Or head. Mm-hmm. Those those uh like the synth and then the two guitar parts or whatever and create they saw, one whole part yeah they all interlock interlocking within to make one groove everybody's got a place that, that adds to the funk did, absolutely did he uh, ever have did he usually have a complete set list planned out or he just never quite knew there always be wild it, cards we had like two or three that interchanged like you know yeah but you know Depending on where we were and what mood he was in, and yeah. who was there, he'd pull a couple yeah. songs out. He pulled, he changed. I mean, I think I wrote maybe a hundred and forty-five charts. As I look, when I moved, I look, I, I have boxes of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think I learned like a hundred and forty-five songs or something like that. Something crazy. That's and, crazy. Uh, That's just with one artist, and you guys both work with so many other yeah. artists. You, you know, when we would interview, I never interviewed Prince, but uh, Art Thompson interviewed him twice for Guitar Player Magazine, and no recording, had to write down the whole thing by hand. Now imagine that, like, you know, a thousand words or something, or 5,000 words, but that's just how he was, I guess. Yeah, he, he was uh, quite the, he was amazing at everything he did, and unlike no one else you ever worked with. And then he used to, like Kat said, he would ride us all hard. You'd be the butt of some joke. Uh, I used to always tell people, uh, that people, some people say, how'd your day go? I'd be like, hey, Prince didn't say anything to me but hello, so I had a good day. <laughs> and if he, that's all he said to you, you had a great day. Exactly. Because he's going to rip your ass at some point that day about something. Yeah. You're going to get your ass ripped. So you would kind of just keep your head low and play your parts and try not, try not to get spoken to. Ripped Hello was all you really wanted. <laughs> Ripped with love, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all I can see is the last because it's twenty years since I first stepped through Paisley. It was ninety six, and the last twenty years of my life would not have been the same. I probably would not be here. I would not know any of you, and my life uh, would have been vastly different and smaller in comparison. So he expanded my life, you know, by just giving me a chance to be part of his vision. So I thank him for that forever, nice. you know. And that's a good point she made. Uh, we, we all, not just as musicians playing that have worked with him, I think the entire world 
when they experience Prince, they, they it's a learning experience for them. It elevates them to another level of something. He's like the band leader for life, you know. Uh, he's made better musicians out of anyone that comes to play with him. He makes them a better musician. If you don't leave there with anything else, you're you're better than you were when you got there. So for sure, he's the band leader of life. Dearly beloved, those are the first two words from the great Prince song, uh, Let's Go Crazy. And those were the first two words that Jimmy Jam said at the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Awards on Saturday night, just two nights after uh, Prince passed away. All he had to do was walk up on that stage, the lights went down for the first moment of the show at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood, and he said, Dearly beloved, and, and people just started cheering because everybody knows. I actually had my purple tie on that I used to wear with my band Princess that I can't believe I still have. So I wore that to the show. I was there just because uh, some of the Jefferson Starship camp was there, you know, the late great Paul Kantner and the rest of Jefferson Airplane were being honored for a Lifetime Achievement Award Grammy. And it was an amazing night at the Dolby Theater in Hollywood. Earth, Wind and Fire performed. Linda Ronstadt was there. Chris Christopherson performed. So many incredible performances it was mind-boggling you know another posthumous grammy went to uh, john cage and a guy came out and did john cage's famous piece which is like flower pots and rice steamers and six or seven different radios and he kind of played them just hilarious ultra nerd super punk rock avant-garde stuff incredible night patty austin played she sang she sang in honor of ruth brown and just tore the house down kathy richardson the lead singer of Jefferson Starship sang with the airplane guys, Yorma Kalkinen and Jack Cassidy. She crushed it. But, you know, it was an emotional night because Prince was gone just two days earlier. And I'm really glad that uh, that Jimmy Jam made that, that nice little nod to Prince at the very beginning because, frankly, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more purple celebration there. But some of us are representing. Jack Cassidy had a purple tie on as well from Jefferson Airplane. Right on Jack. Cap, Dyson, thank you for sitting down and jamming and making this a great episode. Thanks to Mike Scott for swooping in for a guest appearance. Especially thanks to Audio Technica for making this thing happen. Get yourself an Audio Technica System 10 wireless. Tell me how you like it. You can get the uh, rack versions or the stomp box. I have the stomp box version. And I also want to thank uh, Blue Guitar for supplying Cat with that awesome little floor mounted amplifier. It's called the Amp One. It's really fun. I want to try that some more for sure. Again, my name is Jude Gold, your host of No Guitar Is Safe. This has been episode 25. You rock for listening. Thank you. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 handy recorder that I use to record these episodes. Until next time, you know what to do. Keep it alive till you're 95.